Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are working so hard to make Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. And as we continue to expand the show into the Jackson and Delta markets and beyond and add more days, it's uh, it's exciting to see the people that are responding to the show. And uh, I mean, I'm getting notes from people from areas that I d- didn't typically get notes from, and it's pretty exciting. And uh, I, I love showcasing coastal Mississippi to the rest of the state and then frankly the rest of the state to coastal Mississippi it goes both ways so it's been a it's been a terrific journey hey listen I was looking through my history book this morning which I do every single morning and uh, I saw that the the uh, special theory of relativity from Albert Einstein was actually presented in 1905 man what a smart dude but here's the interesting thing that he said about knowledge and I thought it was pretty awesome actually he said this Imagination is more important than knowledge. Knowledge is limited. Imagination encircles the world. You know, that's really true. I mean, the fact that we bring creativity and innovation to the table is usually the entrepreneurial efforts that are the thing that, that makes uh, that the makes a company go or a community go. It's the uh, it's the imagination of the people and, and that 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 we often rely on. And when I think about imagination in circles of the world, I can't help but think about the state port of Gulfport. And uh, I'm going to tell you more about that here in just a second. But I often say that the bookends in coastal Mississippi are, of course, Stennis on one side with the, the blue chip industries that are part of that. And then you've got Chevron and and uh, Ingalls on the other side and all the industries that are related to them. And then in, in between, you've got hospitality and casinos and you've got the state port of Gulfport. And, uh, you know, if you think about this region, I mean, there are more there are more regions that are economic engines for the state. But I think no one would argue that coastal Mississippi is the most important economic engine that drives uh, the state. You think about the port, though, the, the, the port at Gulfport and how it is a, such a contributor to the economic engine, not just for coastal Mississippi, but for the state. I mean, it's a major gateway to the interna- to international trade. It's handling a wide range of cargo, and it generates significant revenue and creates a bunch of jobs. But, you know, I always sort of understood that as, you know, coming up in the community, being active in the community, ultimately becoming publisher of the Sun-Herald. But it was a trip that Chevis Swetman and I took to Charlotte, North Carolina, to meet with a, a community planner. We were thinking about hiring for some, some work here in coastal Mississippi. And, uh, and it was a very – I've mentioned it before, but this planner walks up to a, a, a map of Mississippi, and he looks at coastal Mississippi, and he says, Okay, you've got major highways. You've got you've got major infrastructure in, in terms of uh, rail, and you've got a port. And then he says, "What else do I need to know?" He he said, "You've got the building blocks to make something really special here, here there in coastal Mississippi." 
And I began to really appreciate the role the port can and does play and will play well into the future to the ascension of coastal Mississippi as, as, as really strengthening ourselves as a, as a, as a uh, economic uh, engine. It was after Hurricane Katrina that I realized that the, the creativity and innovation and, I don't know, the dogged determination would have to really be in full bore for us to recover from the mess we were in after Hurricane Katrina. I, I flew over with Marsha Barber, headed over to uh, a meeting of community leaders and elected officials in Hancock County. We flew about a 1,000 feet above above the uh, port and for people who were not here then or maybe not don't remember this there were like a million chickens that were frozen at the port and uh, Katrina unleashed all of them and in the days following Katrina you can only imagine as these bags sw swelled up and popped it was it, the, the smell was like nothing that you can you can imagine so as you flew over uh, the port as we flew over the port you could smell the rotting chicken and then you could see just the devastation and how so much of the contents of the the port had been just strong, you know, obviously north of Highway 90. And you couldn't help but think about what Haley Barber often said. He, he would say that the Chinese word for crisis is the same word for opportunity. And the Chinese philosophers believe that, that there are opportunities that arise from crisis. And, and Haley was constantly reminding people of that. Well, if there was ever going to be a crisis moment and an opportunity that comes out of it, it was going to be uh, the state port of Gulfport. You think about how the strategic location of the port and how it uh, is it really enables global shipping routes you think about it, the military operations I mean the infrastructure and how the capabilities help us with military deployments and exercises and humanitarian missions you think about after Hurricane Katrina the work that was done to make sure that port can withstand uh, natural disasters especially hurricanes in the future the, the, it really defines the word resiliency the, the ability to bounce back in the future and when we get hit again it's not if, it's when. And how will we respond in the, in, in the future? How did we build that capacity to be more resilient in the state port of Gulfport? Well, I can't, I could go on and on. Um, the port is incredibly important to the state and really even beyond the state. And, um, and I'm really thrilled today to have John Nass, who is the executive director and CEO of the Mississippi State Port of Gulfport. And we're going to, we're going to cover a lot of bases in this conversation today. So without any further ado, let me welcome John to the Ricky Matthews Show. How you doing, John? Real good. Thank you so much, Ricky. It's an honor and a pleasure to, to be on your show and talk about my favorite topic, uh, the Board of Gulfport. Well, you, uh, you heard what I said at the beginning. Uh, you probably have told that story about a thousand times, haven't you? I certainly, uh, you know, Hurricane uh, Katrina was, was a dramatic, uh, life-changing event for so many people here on the coast. And, and you're right, I, there, there was an opportunity that came out of it. Um, really, we, we just finished the reconstruction. Uh, we'll be cutting a ribbon on the Wicker Center for Ocean Enterprise. That's the final piece of, of that massive reconstruction effort that, that so many people had um, a, a role in, in participating in and helping us build back. But we built back stronger, better, and, and the opportunities abound. 
Yeah, I know. I know it is. Listen, uh, Kaylee Barber is a good friend. I had the pleasure of writing the forward to his book about the storm, and uh, he was when we started the show. He was literally the first guest of the of the show, and we went back and talked about Hurricane Katrina, working together in that effort, and what we learned as a result of it. But you know, he's and he said it before. He's been on the show more than once, and he said it many times. The one thing he regrets the most is he couldn't get the forty-seven feet and the I guess forty-seven feet. Is that if I'm remembering that right in a 600 feet wide channel, I know that's still part of what you're you're really striving for. But you know, we outside of that, which I think we'll still get at some point. What the energy that went around that point after Katrina is pretty miraculous, isn't it? It's incredible, and and the design of this facility, the the recognition that uh, we're in a, a part of the world that, that does get hurricanes. Uh, and and really what we have is a, a modern structure. Uh, I've been in ports all over the world, and, and this port's a little different. It, it, it's got a new car smell to it. it it's a clean port. Uh, the, the people that work there really care about it. They care about what it looks like. They care about how it operates. And, and they want it to be a success. And, and really, that's, that's one of our biggest assets. Uh, we have a, a billion-dollar reconstruction, but, but the, the biggest asset we have are our people and our partners and, that are so committed to making this a, a success. And, and really, it, it goes beyond that. It's the entire community. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I've been working here for about two and a half years, and I've yet to encounter someone on the coast that doesn't want us to be successful. And, and I don't think that's the same elsewhere. Well, you think about the efforts after Katrina. Um, of course, Katrina cleaned the slate, so it gave you an opportunity, gave us an opportunity to build new infrastructure. It gave us the opportunity to raise uh, the 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 overall footprint of and expand the footprint of the port. There's so much to talk about as it relates to all that, but. I thought what we would do is take a bit of a step back. And you have an interesting background, man. You've uh, you've been a litigator. You've uh, you spent some time in the embassy in Iraq. You've uh, you just got a very interesting story to tell. And what I want to do is I want to go back to the beginning and and talk about the path that you went through that led you to coastal Mississippi. Um, so if you're good with that, let's, why don't we start with this? Tell me about where you grew up. I grew up on a, a farm in rural Maine, uh, on the, the Maine-New Hampshire border. Uh, my, my father was a, a business executive um, who got tired of the rat race and uh, decided to, to buy a 400-acre farm where uh, we grew a lot of our own food, uh, harvested wood, um, and, and in fact, they're, they're still operating that farm today. Why? Wow, is it in your family? It is. Yes, sir. Um, and uh, primarily now it's, it's wood harvesting uh, is the primary activity. Well, it's a long way from Maine to coastal Mississippi, but will we draw all those steps that, that brought you here? And, uh, you know, it's interesting. We're the sum total of the experiences that we have, and you have such a diverse background that puts you in a great position to be a terrific leader for, for the port. When we come back, we'll continue to tell the story of uh, John Nass, but we'll also tell the story of the state port of Gulfport and where they are today and where they're going in the future. We'll see you after this break.
passion and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have the executive director and CEO of the Mississippi State Port uh, of Gulfport, and uh, his name is John Nass. And um, we're going to get back to your to your you know growing up in Maine and making your way to Gulfport here in just a second. But you know, one of the things that I I've always wondered about is when you hire somebody from outside and you bring them to such a critical, strategically important job in this state. You always worry that they're going to you know are they going to stay very long. Well, you've already, you know, you already you know, passed the two-year mark, and you uh, you seem to be settling in pretty well. We're, we're just getting going, Ricky. Uh, you know, there, there's so much opportunity here. Uh, I, I feel like I've got the best job in the world. I, I wake up every morning just looking forward to to getting to work and, and doing more to, to advance this port. So, uh, I, I and I love the area. It, it's one of the best places in the world to live. Well, you, uh, you know, growing up on a Maine farm that's still in operation today, you know, the, the climate's way different in Maine than it is down here in this tropical paradise that, that we call coastal Mississippi. But so, uh, so you learned a lot about, you know, I, I would assume when you, when you get, when you grow up on a, on a farm, you learn a lot about responsibility and work ethic and all of that. Um, I'm assuming, you know, you got some great values from your family. I think so. Um, we we worked hard. Uh, you know, it, it, it was an old farmhouse that was heated by wood. Uh, all that wood we cut. Uh, and they're long, cold winters. I, you know, I would say the proudest moment in my life was marrying my wife. My second proudest is the birth of my three children. And my third proudest is when I got to sell my snowblower. Uh, I, I don't miss that at all. <laughs> well, that's good. Okay, so then you, when you, you, you know, you, you ultimately went to, to school at Saint Saint uh, Lawrence University, and you got a degree in history and government. Where is Saint Lawrence uh, University? I meant to look that up, but I didn't. I just forgot to. It's on the Canadian border uh, in New York State. Really? So, w- why did you pick that? Uh, I. Liked the the area. I liked the uh, op- opportunity and access to the outdoors. Uh, I've always gravitated towards uh, rural areas uh, by choice, and um, uh, they had a great program uh, in history and government. Uh, in fact, one of my bosses uh, later in life, uh, Senator Susan Collins, had gone there um, and uh, had a good reputation for for training people in those areas. Uh, I watch her closely, in fact, and I respect her greatly. And uh, you, you went on to Catholic University of America for your Juris Doctorate degree. My son, Jordan, is a, is a lawyer here in coastal Mississippi. But that, that opportunity really sort of unleashed uh, um, several different roads for you lead, leading on from there. But how, how, did, how, did the, how did your time at Catholic University of America go? Uh, very well. Uh, I was a member of the Law Review. Um, and, and being in Washington, D.C., uh, where, where so much of a lawyer's, uh, really their background, their, their business, it centers around that. So it was a great opportunity to uh, work on Capitol Hill while I was going to law school and, and be able to apply uh, what I was learning um, in, in so many different areas. What a great, I mean, if you're talking about like adding some dimensions to your career basis that makes you better understand 
uh, the, all the working pieces of the job that you have today. I mean, the opportunity to be involved in transportation and natural resources and international trade, working with Susan Collins. Um, wow, what great experience. It really was, and, and one of the things I, I did for, for Senator Collins was transportation policy. Uh, it's something I've, I've always appreciated because it's it's a place where government can, can really make an impact. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of talk around what government should do, can do, but if you build a concrete asset like the port, uh, that has an impact, has an impact on people's lives, uh, on their, their livelihoods and their well-being the people directly impacted, but then it impacts everyone else. Uh, you know, some kid in Chicago is probably having a snack right now, and it's a, a potassium fiber-rich, low-calorie banana that, that came through our port all the way to Chicago. And it's really neat to, to be part of something like that. Hey, listen, uh, I, I mean, again... Most recently, as it relates to the U.S. Senate, you had the opportunity to be counsel for U.S. Committee on Homeland Security. Again, what a wonderful experience if you're going to lead a port. It was. Um, uh, we did a number of things there. Um, it was right after 9-11. So uh, the very first thing we did was implement the recommendations of the 9-11 Commission. And, and I was in Washington uh, on 9-11. Uh, my wife was actually working in the Capitol building. Uh, and, and it was a very dramatic uh, event for, for my family and, and myself. And, and so to, I was very honored to, to be able to, to be a lawyer on the Homeland Security Committee. The first thing we did was reform the intelligence community. Um, and, you know, one of the, the lessons from 9-11 was we, we didn't connect the dots. And, and people were isolated. They were, uh, it was called siloed. And they had information, but they weren't sharing it correctly. Uh, with other intelligence agencies in, in such a way that we might have, have stopped that, that horrible uh, event. But then we went on to do transportation security, port security, chemical security. Um, and then I actually participated in a seven-month uh, investigation into Hurricane Katrina, uh, where we looked at uh, five years after 9-11, where we had spent all this money trying to prepare the country, but solely focused on terrorist threats. And, and at some point, we didn't focus on the likely, dare I say, inevitable event of a, a major hurricane. And, and so my role on that investigation was really looking at the federal response um, uh, to, to Katrina. Um, and, and one of our findings in, in that report was there was a real difference between Louisiana and Mississippi and how they responded. And, and some of that was Governor Barber. Some of it was the people uh, in Mississippi uh, in the face of such a, a terrible disaster, were, were resilient. They, they knew how to do their jobs. They stepped up even with challenges to, to respond. And, and as terrible as that disaster was, um, I, I think Mississippians handled it uh, under Governor Barber's leadership just about as well as they could have done. Yeah, I had, uh, you know, my goodness, uh, you know, to, to be the publisher of the newspaper, obviously before and then after Katrina, 
was uh, a life-changing event for me. You know, I, I live on Back Bay and nearly got killed by the storm. And then on top of that, you know, we had to, uh, nine of 11 homes in my family were destroyed. 67 of my employees lost everything they owned. Some lost family members. I mean, you know, you think about the scale and scope of that. And then they had the opportunity to go and be publisher of the Times-Picayune in New Orleans uh, later and to sort of see it from that perspective. And and the role that Haley Barber played. I mean, I, I went to a book signing. I, I, I uh, wrote the forward to his book on Katrina's dimension, and we did a book signing together in New Orleans. And to see how the leaders of that community viewed him, and because Haley played such a cool, a, a, a really important role, not just for Mississippi but for Louisiana, as he helps kind of sort through how are we going to do this. It was just, just what an incredible story. But to know that you had that experience, John, that you had the experience of of studying what made it different, so you knew before you came here that the leadership in Mississippi was something special and that we had learned on the ground about resiliency in ways that maybe no one in the history of the America had to deal with, at least in, in modern time. And that was a, that was something good to have in, in your quiver, wasn't it? It was. And, you know, I, I learned it then. And, um, you know, a decade and a half later, I, I've been able to experience uh, just, just the high quality of people committed to public service uh, in Mississippi. And, uh, you know, we've seen it from the governor, lieutenant governor, the, the, the legislators here on the coast and, and elsewhere. Uh, folks are, are really, truly committed. Uh, they're not running for office to run for office or be famous. Uh, they're, they're people that truly want to help. And, and that means so much. Well, then, as if that wasn't enough, and that was a great, and that was a great sort of uh, base lane that you did to prepare you for this job. You ended up in 2008 headed to, headed to the U.S. as a employee for the U.S. State Department, and uh, you, you that created some incredible opportunities for you in Iraq. Again, to be able to see it after working in Homeland Security and then and then being a field officer embedded with the U.S. Uh, Army uh, Infantry Battalion, and then being a, a law advisor at, at the embassy. I mean, think about all the stuff that you had there. It gave you a global perspective, though, didn't it? It did, uh, and also presented challenges that uh, I, I don't think you, you always have the opportunity to be presented, uh, which is, is a good thing. It doesn't always feel like it's a good thing, uh, but it, it was a good opportunity to, to participate. Um, uh, you know, I, I guess I was concerned that, that the major geopolitical event uh, of my lifetime was, was going on, and um, I, I wanted to help out. And um, uh, I ended up uh, joining a, a group that was embedded in an infantry battalion, uh, and we operated every day in, in Bahala province, Iraq, the city of Cuba, um, for my first year. And then the second year, I worked at the embassy, where I saw the other end, the, the high-end diplomatic uh, decision. Well, after doing all that work in the post 9-11 world with Homeland Security and then being able to bring your knowledge there, um, man, that, that's that's incredible. Again, you're, what, a, what great groundwork to lead to helping really put being a port director in, in perspective. Hey, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with John Nass and we'll talk more about, you know, what led him here. And then uh, we'll talk about the future of the port. We'll see you after this break.
reminding you why we all love living in Mississippi. It's the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have John Nass, who's the executive director and CEO of the State Port of Gulfport. And, John, when we went to break, we are talking about you had this experience with the State Department in Iraq. Eventually, you made your way back. And and what brought you into port operations? Because I see you working as a policy advisor for the Maine governor and then eventually actually worked your way into a leadership role at the, at the, at the uh, Maine Port Authority. So how did you end up finding this as your niche in life? I had always been involved in transportation policy and and had a particular interest in in all the things that come together in a port, the international affairs, the national security, the the trade and commerce, the economics. And and so I was working for Governor LePage uh, in in Maine. Uh, We had a port uh, in Portland, Maine that uh, had a a bit of a business hiccup, I, I guess I would describe. And and the governor called me in one day and told me to go fix it. And uh, I never really left. Uh, we, we fixed that problem. Uh, we ended up uh, growing that port uh, 20, 30 percent a year for the five years I was involved in it. And by all accounts, it, it was pretty successful um, and just enjoyed the business. Uh, it, it's so diverse. Um, I, I think um, I, I want to be humble, but I, I bring a skill set to the table that matches some of that diversity. And um, uh, at least in Portland, I was pretty good at it, and, and I think that was was recognized. Well, look, um, I, I lease three separate farms up in the Mississippi Delta for for hunting purposes, and I work with a, a family called the Dunn Dunn family. And Travis Dunn, who's kind of my point, become a really good friend. His wife Paige is in Portland, Maine, as we speak. <laughs> so he was obviously very curious about would the would the hurricane have kind of or tropical storm have gotten out of there by then? I, I think she's having terrific weather. Um, okay, so the opportunity for Gulfport comes open, you had to think about the irony of this opportunity being open after all the work that you'd done studying uh, the Hurricane Katrina response and all that. I mean, that had to have been more than ironic to you that you had that opportunity. It it certainly piqued my interest. And uh, I I was familiar with the area um, uh, and and just knew that it was something I'd like. Uh, I like the uh, the coast, of course, and, and the facility, but I also, the, the people uh, were about as nice as I've encountered anywhere in Florida, well-meaning, but there's also a rural nature still to it. I mean, we, we have the amenities of an urban area, but people like to drive pickup trucks, uh, you know, they like to hunt, they like to fish, and, and all those things appeal to me. Yeah, that, that's, that's really cool. So tell me about your family. Uh, so, I, uh, my wife, Holly, um, uh, we've been married 23 years, uh, together 28, uh, and I have an 18-year-old son and two 14-year-olds, uh, one, one girl, one boy. Um, uh, people sometimes ask me if they're identical twins, uh, but obviously not. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's it's a it's a great place to raise a family. That that is for sure. So you so you say yes. You know, you go through the process of studying the community and just the place you want to bring your family to because that's a that's a big move to take kids that age and transplant them. How have they acclimated? Uh, they've done well. Uh, they they still are spending a lot of time uh, elsewhere. I'm on the road a lot. 
so we just dropped my oldest off in college uh, in New York. Uh, but but they love getting down here. We um, they lo- they love the area uh, for sure. So uh, anyway, yeah, it's uh, it's great to it's great to uh, to hear that, and I'm glad that you guys have uh, you know that you like the community and and so on. When you hear me talk about the economic engine of Mississippi being coastal Mississippi and the role that the port plays and the visit that Chavis and I did to North Carolina and and talking about you know how the port positions strategically here, you know I think about Houston, I think about Tampa, I think you know we all have our roles, but we are we are sitting in a strategically incredibly important location, aren't we? We're in an incredibly uh, great location uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, one, we, we have a diverse port that, that has a heavy military uh, presence. Uh, certainly the, the Gulf Coast um, is, is a strong military area between the Air Force and, and the Seabees who, who work just outside our gate, uh, just two miles away. Um, the, the work we're doing with drone technology uh, and, and that and the proximity to uh, north-south trade um, all just, just blend together to, to be a perfect location for, for success uh, here at Gulfport and at the port. So when you think about, um, I, I noticed actually when I was reading some of the information about the port, you know, you think about raising the port after Katrina and expanding the port. The one, you know, what people won't won't really th- be reminded of until we talk about it is the technology around things like freezers, for example, and how that stacks up with competitors uh, uh, and other ports. But that is a competitive advantage for us now, isn't it? It is, we're, and that's why we're developing uh, a freezer warehouse capacity here. Uh, you know, the, the average age of a, a publicly available freezer warehouse is 42 years old. C- can you imagine a refrigerator from 42 years ago and the, the differences to today? And, and that technology has, has changed. Uh, one of the reasons why we're so interested in it is or, or what we're good at. And what we're good at is handling perishable items. Uh, so being able to, to import those products that, that we call white glove products uh, are things that we're able to add a little more value to rather than just take a container off a ship and put it on a chassis and see it go. And, and that was our impact. We, we want to bring in products that, that involve a little more hands-on uh, and perishable items make sense. Uh, certainly freezer capacity makes sense. So uh, we did some research. Uh, we um, uh, found that there was no publicly available freezer warehousing between New Orleans and Mobile. And we're right in the middle. And that's a big desert uh, for, for an industry that is, uh, you know, at, at almost full capacity nationally. So what we did was uh, we did what's called a lunch and learn. Uh, we invited people from all over the region and ultimately all over the country. And we were so pleasantly surprised to see how many developers came to Gulfport, wanted to see the port, and then wanted to invest here. So uh, we expect to have an announcement uh, in just a few weeks um, uh, about a deal we're negotiating that, that envisions private sector um, investment into to refrigerator capacity. Uh, that builds on what we already have on the terminal. So we have almost 2,000 refrigerator plugs there um, that's primarily be, being used for fruit, but also can be used for exporting things like Mississippi chicken, um, and and so many other items. So we're, we're happy to be in that space. We think it, it'll really carve out a niche for us, uh, build on our strengths, 
and and allow us to to be a world class leader uh, in the the cold chain. Well, you heard what I said about the uh, the channel coming into the point. Haley's biggest, one of his biggest regrets is that it didn't get to 46 feet deep and 600 feet wide during his watch. But that doesn't mean it still won't happen. You, there's a lot of focus still on that, isn't there? Yes, sir, there is. Uh, so that's our top priority as an organization. That's the biggest infrastructure uh, need we, we have right now. Uh, it's a long process. Um, I had a, a board member uh, tell me when I first came on, he said, John, they've been telling me for 10 years that it's a 10-year process. Just get me on year two. And, and I'm happy to say with, with the great support of, of all the major uh, political figures, uh, you know, Senator Wicker and Hyde Smith and Congressman Ezel and the governor, um, we are now uh, approaching our second year of that process. Uh, we're doing what's called a feasibility study. So this was congressionally mandated. Uh, the, the, the senators and the congressmen were able to put it into law that the Army Corps will make this a project. So what we're doing now is conducting a three-year feasibility study. Uh, and at the end of that, our goal is to have what's called a chief's report. And the chief's report goes back to Congress. There'll be an act of Congress deepening us. Um, our goal is 46. Um, I feel confident that, that we can at least get to 42. Uh, we're currently at 36. And there's just an entire range of vessels. Um, uh, modern ships are getting bigger because there's more efficiencies. And, and we think that that's really could be a game changer for us. But it's going to take six, eight, well, really eight years if everything goes just right. So in the interim, we're, we're focusing on those industries that we can do at 36 feet. There's a lot. Um, the white blood treatment I, I talked about earlier. Um, another example are fast ships. There's big ships and there's fast ships. And imagine going into FedEx and you have options. Uh, you can do the overnight delivery, you pay more, or you can do the ground delivery and that might take five, six days. We want to be the overnight delivery. If, if your product needs to get to market quickly, uh, we're, we're your, your port to do that. And uh, that's a niche we can really focus on until we get that deeper and wider channel. Right here in the center of the United States. I mean, if you just look at the, the Gulf of Mexico and what people have access to from here, what companies have access to from here, it's uh, it's a very strategically located position. Um, hey, when we come back, we'll, we'll continue to talk about, you know, the future of the of the. Uh, of the uh, uh, state port of Gulfport. We're talking about economic impact as well. We'll see you after this break. Matthew Show on Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have John Nass with us, who's the executive director and CEO of the Port of Gulfport. It's a state port, but it's the Port of Gulfport, and we're proud of it. We're glad to have it here, and it's historically meant so much to the history of the coast of Mississippi, especially Gulfport, dating back to the timber industry, etc. Really, really, really visionary people back in the early days of our history, and now here we are in a nationally strategically important port that has access to the United States, you know, and uh, some really important interstate highways and uh, infrastructure related to rail, for example, uh, really important stuff. So, John, when you think about economic impact and you're talking to people about uh, how important this is as an economic contributor to the economic engine of Mississippi, how do you position it? Well, we, we are a major impact. Uh, we just completed a strategic master plan, and part of that, we had economists come in and, and try to quantify and, and measure what, what our economic impact is. And, and you got to be careful, Ricky. Sometimes these guys will inflate numbers, and so we ask them to be very conservative. I, I want an honest number of what is our economic impact. And, and they came back with $3.8 billion uh, is our regional economic impact. We contribute six, $62.5 million in tax revenue, state and local tax revenue, and we employ a stunning 3,600 people just directly. If you expand that out to indirect employment, it's another 5,300 employees. So a lot of these jobs, um, uh, if you're a member of the ILA and, and you're working down on the pier, uh, those jobs average about $30 an hour. Uh, that's good work, uh, and, and we're proud to, to help support that and expand it and, and expand it into different areas uh, in, in a diversified way. You know, it's uh, this whole notion of the blue economy. It, it makes so much sense to me, and we've had discussions numerous with Southern Miss and with Mayor Billy Hughes and a, and, and a number of others. Um, but the port really has bought in lock, stock, and barrel to this whole concept of the blue economy, hasn't it? It, it sure has, and, and we're so proud to, to be able to participate in it. If you look at blue economy efforts around the globe, there, there's one common denominator, and it's involvement with a port. So, uh, you know, what we're able to do with the University of Southern Mississippi, with, with our new partners, Ocean Era, uh, we, we bring a skill set to the table. First and foremost is our location, uh, being on deep water, being within a Coast Guard secure facility that allows for controlled access and allows you to do things there that you might not want to do out in public. And, and also we're able to, to do things like be a landlord, build a building. So uh, in the middle of October, we're going to have two ribbon cuttings. Uh, one is going to be on the Wicker Center for Ocean Enterprise, and that will be working with our partners at USM, uh, housing NOAA, uh, defense contractors, people involved in, in the automated uh, water vehicle uh, space. But also we're building the headquarters for a company called Ocean Era. Um, and uh, we're not only building it, we're actually financing uh, the construction. So it's it's something a little different uh, than, than maybe uh, you would happen have happened just randomly elsewhere. That that we're very focused on that. Uh, thanks to our partners at, at USM and, and NOAA and, and private sector folks, these are creating great high tech jobs uh, right in downtown Gulfport. Hey, when you think about some of your most significant partners at the port these days, what what are what what are some that are top of mind that you always mention? We're so excited about a recent partnership with Ports America. Uh, they're the, 
uh, largest stevedore company in the United States. They're at 70 locations around the country. They've been here for, for decades and decades, but we just signed a deal with them uh, that involves them leasing what we call Terminal 4. It's a 38-acre uh, lot that's been vacant, and they're going to invest $43 million into improving it. And with a private sector investment like that comes a need to get a return on investment, which means they're going to need to drive business here. And, and we're seeing some of the fruits of that labor already. Um, but most interestingly, they ordered a new crane. So the, the skyline that has three cranes, uh, a little less than two years from now, uh, Gulfport will have four. And that's important if we're going to have new container business so we can work two ships simultaneously. Wow, that's incredible. And uh, there's still a lot of product coming through, a lot of perishable products coming through there now, aren't there? There are, and, and that's really one of our specialties. I, you know, our, our guys down there, our guys, gals down there will work a ship anytime. So a uh, Chiquita vessel was in on Christmas Day last year, and, and the supply chain, particularly with fruit, just never stops. It's a 365 kind of business, and, and we're very good at it. Uh, we're able to, a ship shows up at the sea buoy 18 miles out. It's about a half hour, or, I'm sorry, an hour and a half transit in. It takes us about a half hour to tie it up. And then we're unloading that vessel, and it's on its way again in under 12 hours in, in many instances. Uh, so that's where we're doubling down on the perishables, the fast ships. Uh, it's something we're very good at. Our access to I-10 is uncongested. Um, and we have Class 1 rail uh, right on the terminal that we're looking to, to use a little more. Well, John, we're out of time for today, but I look forward to staying in touch with you. As, as these key events happen, we'll bring you back for a segment or two and let you talk more about what they are. But you've got a great plan. You've got a good tr uh, board of trustees that you work with. you got a real good opportunity here to help help this port become not already, it's already strong, but come, become one of the most strategically important ports in the entire Gulf of Mexico. And that's a, that's a hell of a job to have in front of you. Look forward to continuing to stay in touch. Thanks, Ricky. I really enjoyed the conversation. It's, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. This has been John Nass, the Executive Director and CEO of the Port of Gupport. Have a great day, and we will see you tomorrow. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.